Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Doing. It's the Dubuque internet. Oh, look at this. Granddad's worked it out. Look at this. Hi, Claire. Hey, guys. How are you? Hello, everyone. Just a quick note to apologize for the sound quality in some of today's recording. We were speaking with Cliff over in Dubuque, Iowa, and Dubuque, Iowa does not really appreciate technology. It's not really sure it's got out of the 17th century yet. So, with that in mind, I tried to edit it as best I can. I hope that most of it you find listenable, and we will be back, we will be back next week with a far more listenable episode. Thank you. So welcome to the latest instalment of Build It. We are joined today, as ever, by John Hall, founder and president of DeKalb County United. Hi, John. Hola. And this week, our special guest, all the way from sunny Iowa, is our friend, colleague, and punchbag, Cliff Conrad of Union Dubuque. Hi, Cliff. Hi, Nick. Thanks for saying Dubuque correctly. I've been practicing. Oh, right? perfect. If you would be so kind as to give us a brief introduction as to your soccer story, how you ended up setting up a, store, a club in Dubuque, and anything else you deem interesting, um, that should get the ball rolling. So over to you, Cliff. Yeah, so I started playing uh, soccer at a pretty young age. Uh, although it was definitely not my primary sport, I was more of a hockey guy for a while. Um, it was probably high school when soccer became a bigger part of my life, played through high school, and then... Uh, that summer I graduated was the 2010 World Cup, which kind of uh, took soccer interest to a whole new level for me. So throughout college, I played, you know, just recreationally, lucked into playing for a a random uh, beer league team in Chicago while I was in there. And then uh, when I graduated and moved to Dubuque, I uh, started coaching uh, at a small college here in town. So it was about two years the local hockey team, the local junior hockey team. They're here in town. They're called the Fighting Saints. Uh, I went to one of their games, and I was kind of astounded that there were, in a town of, you know, 65,000 people, that, you know, for a good game, the Saints could get 2,500 people to show up and support kids, you know, who haven't even gone and played college hockey yet. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was kind of amazed by that support. and, And it was at that time that I was kind of coming to like Dubuque more, and I realized that the people here have a very unique um, sort of attachment to their city. And so thinking about it in that context, it was around the time uh, or shortly after, uh, I know as you guys have referenced, like, uh, like Dennis Crowley had been putting together Kingston Stockade, and I was reading up on the things he did. And obviously being involved in soccer here at the college level, I, I talked to a friend of mine who I had coached who was a, a business uh, business person, and I said, um, hey, wouldn't it be kind of cool if Dubuque had something, you know, soccer-y, kind of like what this, you know, this hockey team has going? I think the team, I think if we could build it in such a manner that it really was representative of the city, then people would support it. He was like, sure. And so it was about two weeks later, I think. I, I really, in truth, I don't know how long it was, but at some point in the not too, you know, not too long after that. I kind of went back and was like, hey, why don't we just like, why don't we just start it? Let's just do it. Uh, like, you know, us, let's find some people that'll help out. Uh, and then from that point on, he was kind of like, well, that's crazy, but sure. 
And then through a series of conversations with other soccer stakeholders in town, you know, other college coaches, people who had been involved in the game for, you know, 30 years here in town, uh, they were all kind of like, yeah, that seems like a pretty good idea. And so just, you know, by matter of continuing to have those conversations, Union Dubuque kind of like was spoken into existence more or less. So I think the official birthday of the club is sometime in April of 2017 when we actually like, you know, filed the filings and, you know, got the entity set up and that kind of thing. And from then it's just been, uh, let's, uh, let's do everything that we can to, uh, to move the club forward, um, you know, to, to involve people in the development of programs and uh, everything that we do. So it's been a, it's been a great ride. Obviously this last year is, you know, I know you guys share has been a bit of a disappointment, but at the same time, it was only a minor disappointment because then we got to, you know, start doing some other cool stuff that we've always wanted to do. And uh, I know you guys have as well. So it's ended up being a very not disappointing year. Um, you know, for as much as we all wanted to be on the field, uh, I think the way that things have worked out has been uh, pretty good for everyone. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's given us everyone a chance to sort of not, I don't want to say streamline, but focus on non-soccer stuff and realize that there's a thousand and one other things that they could be doing to raise revenue and raise awareness outside of match days. And I think, we're all going to be stronger for that. Yeah. And I mean, I know as obviously kind of the, the purpose of your whole podcast is like, it's those kind of things that are going to really make sure that you succeed as a club. Um, not the things that you do in the 90 minutes on the field, you know, you can be the most competitive team in the world, but if you're, you know, front office quote unquote, and all your processes are not, um, you know, they're, if they're not good and they're not well adhered to, then, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are on the field. No, for sure. For so, sure. Nick, so, Nick, let me jump cool. in here because I want to. This is something I guess I didn't even realize, but, but for all the relentless banter that we have back and forth as clubs, I wanted to note before we get too far along and it gets forgotten. I look back, Cliff. Our first email exchange was July of seventeen. Oh yeah. So we, you guys launched. Uh, at least business-wise, in April of 17. I think we did in, like, on May 7th of 17. And then um, you mentioned 65,000 people. I think the DeKalb County is, like, 110, but the Sycamore and DeKalb area, which is a little bit more populated, is around that same 65 to 70,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think one of the things that Cliff and I have always, you know, we banter, but nobody knows that Cliff and I also talk all the time because we are at the same age our clubs are at the same age we are going through very similar things we've gone through similar things even if we've gone maybe different routes to get places um i think we've we've both gotten to the point where you've now been around for basically three years and i think our stories are very parallel and i think it's really neat that we're far enough away that you know we're not in the same town trying to compete. So we don't compete for players or anything, but we're close enough that we can also play regularly. And now that, you know, we're in the same league and everything still the, um, the rivalry can continue to grow and we can continue to hate on each other in public. (laughs) And then, and then he and I can collaborate behind the scenes to make sure that we're both around. Cause I think having them around is good for us. And I hope having us around is good for them. Yeah. I, I, um, I completely agree. You know, we, for as, you know, for, like you said, for as much as the, 
the the banter flies around on Twitter. It's you know that's something where you know since we've kind of started, I've really valued the opportunity to talk to you on a pretty regular basis. You know, I think I occasionally uh, there are definitely spurts where I talk to you more than some people even in in my own club because they're off doing their own thing and you and I talk you know sometimes like a couple times a week. So um, so yeah, I I really do. I think that like you say. Uh, you know, I hope that Dubuque's existence is, uh, or Union's existence is, is helpful for DeKalb. And I'm, I'm sure that as we continue to grow, I think we've got some, uh, I wouldn't say re-education uh, to do, but I've, I've certainly been, you know, hopeful that our, our supporters can latch onto DeKalb as like the, the natural enemy. <laughs> because, you know, Dubuque already has a pretty well-established uh, relationship with Cedar Rapids or rivalry, I guess you could. Um, obviously like an hour and change away and the hockey team has a big rivalry with them. So I think people naturally, when they saw, especially that the Inferno were coming in, they're like, Oh, Hey, there's a rival. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree, John. How did we come across upon the name for union? Where's the union from? We were thinking about names. We were thinking about nicknames, kind of more American style, you know, something or other, you know, we realized that what we wanted the club to be was a representation of the entirety of Dubuque. Um, and if you look back through the city's history, it's pretty interesting because there's never really been like a single, like monolithic culture or anything in Dubuque. Right. So from the very beginning, it was the Meskwaki Indians and the, you know, French Canadian settlers who ended up founding the city. Right. Um, so it was both of them. And then as it progresses more into industry, you had mining and millwork and, uh, you know, other kinds of industry here, you know, for trading and that kind of stuff. And as you progress more into like the immigration era, you've got, uh, you know, Irish Catholic and German immigrants coming here in mass. So it has never been like one thing you could point to and say, oh, we're the, you know, we're not Dubuque Celtic. We're not, uh, you know, the miners or something like that. So we kind of kept thinking through ideas of you know, ways to kind of represent all of those things. Um, and then, so we, that's where we kind of came to union, um, you know, United obviously is a, a fairly common convention of naming for, for soccer clubs. And, um, it's not just my distaste for Manchester United that, uh, that led us away from using that particular name, but I, I liked the way that union Dubuque read. I liked having, um, or we liked, I guess I'd say it wasn't just me. We liked having union as like the name instead of just like United, which is more of like an adjective, I guess. So that's kind of where we came on union. And then like we realized after the fact that union was also um, kind of a subtle like hat tip to the city's pretty successful history with organized labor. Uh, It's a very blue collar city. Um, And some of the, um, you know, organizations here in town, whether it's the factories or whatever um, have had, uh, you know, a good history of relations with the workers and everything. So, so that's kind of where, like, it also kind of comes in with, you know, we have occasional messaging that kind of reflects the, you know, union, you know, labor union kind of, uh, you know, vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So. All right. All right. And then, so how's your front office set up? What's your leadership group look like? Yeah. Yeah, so we've got a, you know, we realized uh, pretty early on that we are going to need more opinions and perspectives than we could provide uh, ourselves. So I have, 
I had basically zero business background when I started. Uh, you know, I came from more of a soccer background, but I knew that if I was going to run the club, I didn't want to have any uh, meaningful influence over the choices of, you know, whoever would eventually hire as a manager. So I kind of set that up initially. I'm like, I'm not going to deal with soccer stuff. Um, I'll help facilitate whatever he needs, but, you know, he or she, whoever we end up hiring. Um, so what we did is we went out and we found someone who uh, is very connected to the Dubuque soccer scene who has been here for about 30 years. His name's Jim Ott. He's a very awesome guy. And I had actually had the pleasure of coaching his son at one of the high schools here in town. And that's kind of how I got connected to him. So, uh, so we brought Jim onto our board uh, just because of the local aspect and because of the um, he just knew Dubuque more than, you know, either of us, any of us. So, um, so that took our board to four, uh, at one point kind of around that stage, our, um, you know, one of our early partners, uh, the guy who I had coached decided that he didn't really have time to commit to it. So he ended up leaving. He was the first person to profit at all from sale of share in the club <laughs> as we bought him <laughs> out for, I think 50 cents. Uh, so, um, and then after that, a, 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 cr a fr close friend of, uh, my wife's actually had a pretty, uh, has a pretty strong bent towards a, a very analytical business mind. And so we ended up uh, talking to him shortly before our first season began and he joined our board and now he serves as our chairman. Okay. Nick, <laughs> I want to talk to Cliff about his, um, his uh, member ownership campaign that they recently announced. Um, I, I know other clubs in the country have done it, Cliff, but can you explain um, sort of how yours works and how's your, what's the reception been like? Um, yeah. Can I put a precursor on that as well? Um, uh, DeKalb is a nonprofit 5013C, correct, John? Or, uh, I forget. 501C4. Okay. There you go. Thank you. Um, C4. How were you set up, Cliff, or how were you set up before this membership drive? Yeah, so, you so we were and still are set up as a, as a, um, a multi-partner LLC. Um, and we kind of decided on that uh, early on because uh, none of us were super savvy with the uh, tax implications, business form <laughs> stuff. So we figured let's go with what's simplest, um, and that's what we came up with. So there are, there are currently four owners of the club officially. Um, but, and we all have different ownership amounts, but we all exercise the same amount of, you know, voting power and that kind of stuff. So, um, that's kind of how we're, how we're set up. Okay. So then you recently launched your membership initiative that John alluded to. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, sure. So we, it's been our goal from a very early uh, point in our club is that we wanted to have more control over the club in the hands of the people who we feel like it's here to serve. Right. Um, similar, not, you know, not dissimilar from how you guys sort of phrase your kind of thing. It's like, it's the, it's the people's club. We're just kind of, you know, tasked with, with doing it. Uh, the members, uh, so instead of, you know, selling season tickets anymore, uh, we sell memberships and we have memberships that are also available at like below the season ticket level and then also family memberships. So, uh, the point of that being, um, it's more, uh, an investment into the entire club instead of, you know, purchasing a, uh, a season ticket, you know, just for the enjoyment of going to games. So um, effectively what it means is members are invited to uh, sort of a members only platform where we share more inside the club kind of news um, and where 
you know, as things progress, you know, we'll have members vote on a representative to obviously come to all of the union board meetings. But then there will also be, mem you know, more general members meetings where we talk over uh, ideas for, you know, so we just we created uh, a place for our members to go and you know submit ideas that they have for the club about, hey, what do you want union to do or be in the near or long term future? What's your what's the response been to that campaign? Um, I'd say it's been in between. Uh, it certainly hasn't been overwhelming. You know, we didn't put, you know, whatever Detroit City did a quarter of a million dollars or half a million dollars or whatever in the club bank. But, um, you know, that's not ever it was never a fundraising campaign. Right. Like they that's the thing when I see like, you know, Chattanooga and Detroit and their members, you know, their ownership campaigns. It's like it's, it's basically just a capital campaign, you know, where they're selling you know, a small, small, small fraction of the club uh, to each of these people. I agree with you. I mean, I, I know what you what you're trying to kind of trying to build with the membership, and I, I think that's a I think it's a it's a great thing. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people on the Twitter world that love to support clubs from across the country too. So it's a nice way to open up right. some input to other parts of the country that might think of things that you yourself won't think of, and. Yeah, um, I think it's a, I think it's a great way to brand and and actually something I'm thinking about talking about on our side of it too to push a little bit more toward membership instead of tickets a little bit uh, in some way. Okay, so we've got you've got four people individuals on your board. Yep. How are you set for volunteers? Or I mean, do you four do everything, or do you have a team of volunteers behind you? Yeah, so we four actually, I, of the four, I am the only one that maintains like an operational role in the club. Mm -hmm. um, so those four are kind of the, I guess you would call the, like, from, like, I guess if you're thinking about it in other terms, they're more of like the, the board of directors of like a corporation, you know, who come in, you know, for meetings from time to time and, and help decide the general direction of the club. Um, but don't have a really hands-on role in making it that way. So I, I serve as, I guess, what you would call the chief executive, you know, the, the president uh, of the club. Uh, and so underneath me, we have uh, several directors who each kind of manage a different aspect of the club. So we have a director of media uh, and communications, and we have a director of game day operations. And up until recently, we had a director of finance as well who kind of handled you know, helped us with the budgeting and the accounting processes, but he actually just moved. And so he's yet to be replaced. Um, you know, each of them have uh, either interns or, excuse me, uh, uh, volunteers who kind of help out in each of those respective departments and some who help out across departments. So, yeah. um, so our director of operations, game day operations is actually a faculty member in sports management at one of the universities here in town. And that connection has been really big for us because he is also like the internship advisor. Uh, so whenever any of the, you know, 80 to 100 students in this program come looking for internships, he can say, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. Um, yeah. And he can, you know, suggest union and helping out on games and that kind of stuff. So that's been really a big deal for us. Um, as we, you know, obviously it's, it's always good to have people, you know, more and more people helping out on game day because that's just, you know, many hands making light work. And what's the, what's the game day experience like? I guess the first, the first question would be, what's your, how, do you, how many did you average last year from memory, give or take? Ooh, from memory last year, I'd say somewhere just north of 100. Um, so right. we made a, a stadium change between years one and two. 
Um, and our, our, the place, the, our venue last year was a little bit more, I wouldn't say remote because it was actually more in the middle of town, but it was in the middle of a college campus and it wasn't quite as easily accessible as our first stadium was. So I think some of like the, you know, the drive by traffic just like, wasn't there, you know, like our first stadium, mm-hmm. you could, you know, it's on a main road in town and you can see the lights on. You're like, Hey, what's going on there? You know, it's a Saturday night in July. Like what's happening, you know? What, what, was your, what were you averaging that first season? Then? Uh, we probably averaged a little over 200 in year one. Right. Okay. So that's a sizable drop. Yeah. Off. yeah Did us. you, when you were um, pre budgeting, were you anticipating that and going into year two? Like, did you have to make allowances for uh, we it? We did or? have to make some changes uh, on the fly due to the lower attendance. Um, thankfully, some of that was, you know, buoyed by an increase in sponsorship dollars in year two. So um, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't a um, a catastrophic uh, loss for us uh, to have fewer people. But, you know, that's why, you know, as, as we continue our shift towards becoming a more member-focused, community-oriented club, um, you know, we're actually planning another move uh, for next year that we hope will be the last for a long time um, because mm-hmm. it involves uh, investing in some community facilities that are – uh, you know, going to help other, you know, people who play soccer around town um, for hopefully a very oh, okay. long time. So you're, bu- you're building a, some sort of complex. Uh, so there is a complex in Dubuque and we're, our, our objective, you know, we're still, you know, I, I can't give a ton of details because the, you know, we still haven't had a chance to meet with the, the board of the group that runs it um, and, you know, give our full, you know, big picture pitch to them. But the objective would be, you know, if we can, like, I'll, I'll just break it down like this. If we spend anywhere near what we spent the last two seasons on venues like 10 years there's no reason we couldn't actually invest you know fifty thousand dollars in this complex for improvements and things like that um that's that's like the the basics of it is you know can we you know because you know we played first at a high school and then at a college and our rental fees were basically going you know into some very deep well that you know, none of it was ever going to mean anything for anyone else who plays soccer in town. Um, you know, whereas yeah, by, we, by moving to a place that is used exclusively for soccer in town and occasionally for like cross country meets, um, you know, then, you know, we could actually, you know, build some stands out there. We could put up a scoreboard and, you know, some other, you know, amenities that would make just make the place itself nicer when maybe the city could then host a state tournament or a big adult tournament or something like that um mm-hmm. instead of just you know doing what is effectively lighting our our least money on fire <laughs> yeah it's renting rather than owning yeah. isn't it and it's a story we hear time and time again it was the, one of the first things that john said was the biggest expenditure on the budget is rental right. fees so if you can if you can go any way about excluding that so much right. the better john have you got any questions yeah. this time no i i think cliff and i have talked a little bit about their home ground plan a little bit more in depth probably. And, and I think he's, he, he and they are doing what we all wish we had. I wish there was a rundown. I, I'm not saying yours is cause I've never seen it. I wish there was a, a vacant complex that we could redevelop mm-hmm. because I think that's a, that's a huge advantage if you can provide a, um, a community central place that the people in your town think, man, that's, that's our soccer complex. That's where we go. And, and if you're able to then control your scheduling, you can schedule more, you can schedule different, mm-hmm. you know, you can go 
potentially you could go into April and start earlier if you wanted. You could go into August, September, October if you wanted. If you, I mean, obviously with your team makeup and all those kinds of things. So I, I think the home ground is a a fun project to work on, and it's it's cool that you guys are at least pursuing an option to do that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's uh, it's just a great thing. One thing I wanted to ask you, um, changing topics a little bit, but you guys did the soccer bowl this mm-hmm. year in a, the pandemic yeah. year. Uh, I thought I was a little pissed. I thought that was a really good idea. Um, and obviously Iowa and Illinois had different restrictions with COVID, mm-hmm. but talk a little bit about the uh, idea and how that executed. Yeah. So um, early on, we like before even the pandemic and everything, we had kind of thought about, you know, way like just, you know, general, like big picture, how do we get more people involved with what the club is doing? Uh, and so what we, you know, decided and also in the, you know, in the line of like trying to develop some players, right? said oh let's have like a let's have like a high school all-star game for like the area um and so that was something we kind of had a you know like a, a one-page sheet of ideas on in my google drive somewhere and then you know when the pandemic hit it's like well a uh there's not going to be a season on which to decide who all-stars are and b uh this is obviously a really sucky thing for all of the seniors who just you know lost their last chance to play with their friends again and i you know i coach a a high school team here in town and I had 15 seniors um, or would have had 15 seniors last year. And then, you know, all of them, you know, lost their opportunity to play their senior season. And so the idea for the all-star game quickly transitioned to, you know, effectively a senior bowl uh, of sorts that would be, uh, and we decided that, Hey, we can, you know, because this is, you know, an even more, you know, community benefit kind of events, like we'll have, it'll have a greater pull for some sponsors and, you know, we'll be able to do this, you know, really cheap, uh, but we'll make it free for the players because, you know, we want, excuse me, we want them to have the opportunity uh, to play with each other one last time. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And then the execution was actually really simple. We put out a registration form and everything. And, you know, I, you know, emailed all the local high school coaches and, Hey, would you, would you tell your seniors about this? And uh, you know, the, all the logistics of it ended up working out really simply. And in the end, we ended up having about 26 seniors from the area sign up to play. It was a co-ed game. And I think maybe six, seven participants were, uh, were girls. So it was a good time. Uh, I know I had, you know, like five guys from the high school team that I coach and you know, we had seven or eight, I think was a high from one team. So everyone, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a scream, you know, everyone got to get together. We made shirts for them. Uh, our local print shop that we work with for the first team uh, agreed to print the shirts for free. So um, we ended up just having a really good time of it and it ended up being a great game too. We had about a hundred parents come out and watch and then parents and friends and uh, teammates, even underclass teammates who were there. Uh, and it ended, I think six to five, was a final so it was like a good you know high scoring exhibition game we had a kid you know like we we did like a a recognition uh, event before where like you would on senior night where you call out the names and you know where they're from and what they're doing now when they graduate and that kind of stuff and then uh i i made sure that everyone knew that we were just here to have a good time and uh, so we had a, a kid like take a penalty with like his 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 hands over his eyes uh, and just fun stuff like that, you know, everyone had a good time. And, and I think it's something that we're going to continue doing in the future because it was just a really easy event. 
and I think uh, everyone really appreciated it. So, well, I, I think that's a that's a good thing too because you're you're well. One thing we try to do is we try to build annual events and traditions yeah. that people can look forward to and plan for. So we do our throw twenty twenty out. We do futsal tournament. We did two years in a row on President's Day weekend in, in February, hmm. uh, which is also Valentine's weekend, but that's never an issue. Um, but those kinds of traditions that you can build where you did it this year and all those juniors that didn't get to play this year now next year can look forward to it and plan for it. And it's obviously then from a Union Dubuque perspective, your goal is great. There was 140 people here today. We have a game on now next year. We have games, hopefully, right, that they can come to where you can collaborate your senior bowl the night before a Union Dubuque game or even before the game or whatever, where um, you try to turn those events into supporters of the big club, I think, right? Isn't that kind of part of the ambition as well? Yeah, you cut out there for a sec. Sorry. The last thing I heard you say was something about 140 people and then ambition as well. So, yeah, so you're you're trying to get those 140 to become Union Dubuque supporters. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, the people who, uh, you know, whose, whose kids signed up or some of the, I mean, Dubuque is a small enough community, especially when it comes to the soccer playing contingent that, you know, there are the, the noteworthy families or the notable families who've, who've, you know, had five kids grow up here and go through the, you know, the one youth soccer club that really exists and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of them were there. Those are the people that were hoping, you know, hey, you know, you, your, uh, your last son just graduated high school. You know, what's your connection to soccer in the area still? Oh, it's Union Dubuque. You know, uh, you can come and maybe he comes and plays for us, you know, in a year or two. Uh, and you can come watch him play and then you can keep watching him play or, you know, watching the club play because that's, yeah, it's, it's trying to build more connections between the people and the club. So what, what type of resources, uh, whether it's financial or otherwise, like where do you guys focus, uh, marketing then, um, obviously to former soccer families, yeah. that's almost, that's, that's kind of automatic, but is there any other audiences that you target within the community? Yeah. So our, Dubuque is, is interesting because it's a big, it's like the biggest small town you've ever been in. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys feel that way in DeKalb, but Dubuque is like, it, it has all the, the hallmark features of a small town in terms of like just the community and stuff like that. But, um, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the size of like a decent sized city actually. So um, we realized early on that I wanted to focus on uh, young people coming to games now Dubuque has a pretty big college scene there there are four colleges or universities in town here who total make up like five or six thousand students a year um but obviously a lot of those people leave in the summer so it's kind of hard to you know try and get you know college students to come watch games or hang out with their friends and that kind of stuff we have a, a student season ticket or did in the last couple seasons that was uh much closer to the youth price do you have any sort of connection or relationship with the existing youth programs yeah, so there are officially three other youth soccer organizations, three youth soccer organizations in town, because I don't, youth, Union is not a youth soccer organization. So there is uh, a soccer club, Dubuque Soccer Club, that's been here for about 30 years. Um, and they kind of had their heyday in like the early to mid 2000s. There were, you know, thousand, like 2,000 kids in the DSC. Um, 
around then. Now they've kind of tapered back down to where they're about one to two teams per age group throughout most of the youth setup. They've got a they've got a big uh, developmental program for really young kids, like the five, six, seven, eight year olds. Uh, but once you get past that, um, I think they're they're a little bit smaller. Um, more recent is the Key City Soccer Association, which was founded by the head coach or the former head coach at Loris College, which is uh, probably the best soccer school in town. Um, they started about five years ago, and they go all the way up to like under 15s, I think. Uh, and they're pretty small. There may be one or 200 people tops. Um, and then there is an AOYSO chapter here that is the biggest soccer organization in town. And they've been around since, oh, goodness, the 60s, maybe. Um, and they've got 800 kids or so. And we we developed a relationship with those groups early because we recognized that obviously connection would be important. Um, and so what we did for each of the last two seasons, there was like a feature night for each of those three organizations at our first team matches where, uh, you know, one night would be AYSO night and AYSO players would get in for free if they were in their Jersey and they had to be accompanied by a parent or something like that. Um, you know, we had some problems with some of them where, you know, kids weren't being accompanied by parents and they'd show up in groups of 15, uh, you know, to the game. But, uh, you know, we recognize that, you know, the spirit of, of that is still there. We still want to keep doing that. And, you know, the, the position of those three organizations also makes it a little bit difficult for union to kind of branch into any kind of developmental work without it being through a partnership with one of them. Um, so, you know, by which, which kind of leads me into one thing, which is by the time that this podcast is produced, we will have announced our first developmental team, which is uh, ostensibly under 21. Um, but, you know, the objective between the scheduling and the cost, which is zero, uh, and everything else is to um, allow it to kind of fit on top of whatever other developmental uh, clubs or programs that players might be involved with. Um, and so it's kind of in a, a non-intrusive kind of way getting into the developmental uh, game. The objective of bringing players that will the first team one day. I think I think that's a great thing. That we similar to our approach, we try to we try to be at the at the you know at the top end age wise of all the other organizations in town, so as not to compete. And right. I I think it's a great thing for an independent clubs like you know like like you guys in in DeKalb to not try to compete and create don't create enemies because the towns aren't big enough to absorb right. losing a third of the population just because you started a U16 team now and everybody else is upset with you. No, I completely agree. Like one of the, one of the soccer clubs here in town was formed largely because of a personal feud with, you know, directors of the other. So we, there definitely isn't room uh, in a place like to be for a, another schism of, you know, soccer. And I mean, it's one of those things where like, you know, our name is literally union. It's, you know, it's designed around people coming together uh, around something. And if we're doing things that are pushing people apart or away from a club that is called union, then we're probably doing things wrong. What else are we doing for the community of Dubuque? Yeah, so that is uh, the million dollar question. I think we have been trying to answer this question well uh, since our first off season. You know, what are we when we're not playing soccer games is the way we always framed it. And, um, 
you know, we sort of early on uh, set up two priorities um, that were sort of based in the founding uh, story of the club, basically, right? So uh, when we were going through the founding of the club, we said, uh, we were looking at, at the people who were kind of starting it, and we said, hey, if this club remotely visited success, it wasn't because of any of our backgrounds or any of our, you know, privileges or anything like that, because I had no business background, and I had a, like, I had a degree in theology, for goodness sake, um, <laughs> you know, and... You know, I had a, one of our fr- one of my friends was in law school, and it's like we're not we're not business people. And I was kind of looking at you know the the company, you know, make it big and make a big story. And uh, and it seems like they're all like from the same group. They're all like MIT or Stanford or Harvard people who you know it's just like they're destined to succeed or whatever. And so we kind of you know from from an early time we wanted to latch onto this idea of like it doesn't matter who you are, you can like do something cool. Um, and so we've been looking for organizations in town to kind of partner with, to help us like spread that message. So that's where like, uh, you know, our main, our main partnership with Dupaco is our Jersey sponsor. Uh, they're a, they're a credit union and they are heavily invested in organizations that are all about, uh, empowering people to, you know, either rise above their circumstances or just be genuinely creative. Um, and so, you know, that's some of the organizations in town that we partner with. We, you know, we recently uh, have done a couple like small fundraisers to try and raise some some money for some local nonprofits that are focused on that exact same kind of thing. Um, you know, our, our objectives also involve uh, like health and wellness. Um, obviously, we're not a gigantic club by any means. And, you know, but what we want to use in terms of uh, some people and very limited financial resources to encourage people to go out and be healthy and be active. So, um, we kind of tried to start a um, kind of a, just a recreational drop-in soccer program around town this year. Uh, it didn't kick off quite like we had hoped, and so that is on the back burner for now. But that's something that we really wanted to get into the neighborhoods, get some of our players out there, and just get involved in, making, in helping people play the game and not feeling like they have to have all the equipment or all the training to get out there and do so, um, you know, send them out there with a ball and a couple of cones, if that, you know, and, and play soccer. Um, so that's the other big thing that we really try and focus on or are trying to continue to cultivate is, um, you know, let's, let's help people be, be active and be healthy. What's the one thing that you have that has disappointed you most? One thing that's disappointed me the most. Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, being wow. dominated by DeKalb. Yeah. You know, I have, I have on my desk a, uh, a picture of that night in DeKalb so that I can, no, I don't actually, but so I can use it as, as, as inspiration <laughs> to spur me on to, you know, build a team that'll beat you guys one day. Um, that's a really well, good man. question. You know, I think the thing that like, it's not disappointing, right? Because whenever you start anything, like you've got to expect some level of, opposition or really just indifference right um when i went to uh had my first meeting with the president of the soccer complex uh and we talked about the idea of union moving out there uh he said you know i think that the soccer complex is the only place that makes sense for union to be to play and i that was the first time it felt like someone who had the ability to help the club uh actually wanted us to be there. Um, 
you know, I don't know if you guys ever get that sense with, with your venue or anywhere else that you practice or anything, but like, I always got a sense that, you know, wherever we were playing before that, like we were an inconvenience um, to them. And I know that that, like, we have to work to overcome that. It's not something where I'm expecting people to just assume be like, oh yeah, Union Dubuque is the greatest thing we want it to be around. But the, you know, the fact that for the first time someone is like, yeah, we that you know you guys being around is a great thing and we want to actually help that happen um was it's a feeling i wish i had more often i guess you could say and that's the disappointing thing is that it doesn't happen as often as i'd like um you know you you want to you know as you kind of work uh, work through and build a club and you engage people you want you want to feel like it's important to people and i know you guys have mentioned a couple other times in your podcast that you know as soon as it's not important to the people here we'll stop doing it. and you know sometimes for union it felt like well we're you know i don't i don't know if it has ever been important to people uh and that's where we're trying to continue to be like hey we can be more than a soccer club and more than a place for you to come watch a game on a Saturday afternoon in the blazing hot heat of summer. Um, you know, let's be a place where all of us together, you know, the members all get together and do good stuff for them. Um, and I think that's where that's, you know, the direction that we're trying to take our club. And just to bring the mood up, <laughs> what's the, the happiest memory you've got of the last two and a half, three, three and a half years. Oh man. Um, I can tell you that the worst actual like lowest point of feeling probably was that first game we lost to you guys after the rain delay. I'm not, I'm not joking. Like it, it just felt like tragic because it seemed like the story was all put together for us to come back and at least earn a draw. Um, the highest point so far, I mean, there have been a lot and I think, you know, the history of both of our clubs and, you know, with our league affiliations and whatnot kind of colors some of that. Um, you know, I felt a tremendous amount of, you know, pride and happiness the day we got accepted to the UPSL and it was officially announced. Um, but I mean, I think, I don't know, it's, it's really, it's really hard to say what the, the best moment has been. There have been a bunch of good ones. Um, and okay. as long as, you know, we continue to have good ones, uh, then I'll continue to be very happy uh, doing, you know, working, working for the club. So um, I will say, and I know you guys will appreciate this. When we beat Aurora after coming from behind, that was exciting in year one. Uh, beating them at home three two. Yeah. Um, what you know, you know, one thing that I really like about even doing this podcast because obviously we don't really know what we're doing here. Um, but I love that that the people we speak to can be vulnerable and admit that we aren't the greatest thing since sliced bread, and we do have struggles. And even three years in, we both are thinking the same thing, wishing more people cared like we yeah. do and trying to figure out how to make them care. <laughs> and I hope, if nothing else, the people that listen kind of see that, uh, man, it, it's it's still work. Oh, you know, yeah. It never it never gets easy. <laughs> yeah. Or at least in our in our time, it doesn't get easy. And, and, and there we are imperfect people trying to do something special that really there is no rule book to how, how to make it work in your own community. Right. So you just have to use your best judgment and try to create those networking opportunities. And you just got to jump in with both feet. Mm -hmm. yeah. It, it absolutely is not to borrow a phrase from Nick's native Liverpool, a barrel of laughs, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, there are good times, like, don't get me wrong. And I'm sure 
as a, you know, for supporters, it's like, you probably experience on the whole a, a higher, you know, a higher rating of emotion than the people who are involved, you know, with the club on a you know day to day basis, because, you know, you get to hang out and see like the games are the good times, you know, like even when you lose, it's like, well, we still had fun, you know, and we still got to come out and watch soccer. And, you know, if you're into Cal, you can drink a beer and, uh, you know, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's something that is, um, it's kind of a, you know, I, I think that you would probably agree with, it's kind of a labor of love, right? You, you, you like the club, you want it to keep succeeding, but you know, it's going to take uh, some, some work on your own end uh, to really, to really keep it going. So um, yeah, I completely agree with you there, John. Would you do it again, Cliff? I absolutely would. I would do it differently, um, but I'd do it again. Yeah. Can you can you pinpoint one thing you do differently, which isn't to say you did it wrong this time. We agree, but just yeah, no, I I think that um, I would have invested a lot more time in the early stages of sort of uh, doing the community support. Um, kind of like you know, listening to you guys talk about it on the podcast, it's like man, early on a lot of ideas, and you know, I had a lot of conversations with people, but I. Um, you know, it's caused some, some trouble and not, you know, lasting or, you know, irreversible damage, but it, you know, it meant that it meant uh, hard times. It meant giving up on some, some family stuff that I didn't necessarily want to give up because, oh, well, we've got this club and, you know, it's got some debt that we've got to pay. That was, that would be the big thing I change is I wouldn't, I wouldn't go at it. And I'd say, you know what, we're going to hold off another year until we can raise more money. John, do you have any closing questions? Cliff, you're going to get no. a chance for one question to John at the end of this, so get thinking. No, but. Bring, no bring it on, Cliff. Oh, geez. I, I wish you had told me I this before. I know, I should have done. <laughs> uh, question for John we, at DeKalb. I love him in the morning. I love him at night. I, if you dropped it on the front porch, I would eat it every time. You may have answered this in a previous episode. What has been DeKalb's um, biggest success. Uh, what have you? What has Decal been most successful at? Um, there. Uh, I hope I don't contradict something I've already said. Uh, truthfully, I think I'm mostly proud of the volunteer staff that we have um, because I I still haven't got any one of them to actually on the record tell me why the hell they follow <laughs> us and why they work hard and why they want to be a part of it and why they want to get the text messages at all hours of the day and night. Um, but, but I know that we would really struggle if that group of people was not here. Um, so I think because of that, it reiterates that I think there is belief in the club by more than just me and more than a small group. I mean, we've got a pretty good volunteer group of people that are active and, I think that's that's the greatest thing long term that we have going for us because I I think there's there's times in my voice you can tell that I'm that particular moment I'm a little burnt mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of uh, kind of re-energizing that goes on when you sit down on we do you know monthly meetings with our advisory board and you so many people tune in they you know 
no matter who's talking, they tune in because they want to know what's going on with the club and want to put their hand up to be a part of the next initiative or whatever. And uh, that really validates it. And then I, especially now with there's no games, you don't get the validation of a few hundred people watching your team right. and your players coming out. A lot of our players drive an hour or more to come to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, that means something to me. And that means something to us that people will drop what they're doing um, to, to put some value on this logo and the club and what we're about. So I think the volunteer staff is probably the, the one thing or one thing at this moment that really I'm very appreciative of and proud of. However, the, however it came to be, I'm sure glad the staff is there. Yeah, and John, have you got any closing questions for Cliff? I think, as I've said, I think I think we're very parallel, uh, going about things similarly with our own little spins. And, and I, it isn't a question. I hope you guys are around a long time, and I wish Union Dubuque as a as a member owner, I'm <laughs> obligated to tell you that I wish you a great deal of success off the field and nothing but misery. <laughs> on it. Well, uh, I will. I will enjoy that uh, success and uh, maybe imbibe my way through the misery. So, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I appreciate you joining us. Yeah. Today. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you. you. Cliff, before you go, could you just remind us of the results last season uh, against the Calb? <laughs> I believe there yeah. was a two apiece draw in Dubuque that was uh, called off uh, like two minutes from time. Due to weather, and then I think we lost four one in DeKalb. Thanks for your yeah, time, Clay. No, you're welcome. Thanks for your you time. Have Clay. a good one. <laughs>